0: Well, hello, my friend. How are you today? It, uh, it's good to see you for another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. I'm uh, in a different place. So I'm using a virtual background to disguise my location. So uh, you see that I'm disguising it pretty well with that value jet airplane that you and I were involved in the investigation of. So. It is an undisclosed location because, uh, you know, I'm in the witness protection program.
2: How about you? Oh, I'm in warm weather in uh main base for a major airline. So it's, uh, I'm enjoying the, the warm weather. Talked to Todd a little bit ago, and it's not so warm in Boston, and he's Good. not going to be able to join
0: us tonight, so. Well, I hope he's out shoveling snow, getting some exercise or something. He did that. I tried to discourage him. You know, once you guy get to
2: guys get to be 40 years old, they shouldn't be have a shovel even in the house.
0: Oh, please, John. That's my aerobic exercise, shoveling snow in shorts. My yeah, neighbors think what, I'm an idiot.
2: My next door neighbor used to say that until he fell face down in the driveway, dead.
0: Shoveling <laughs> snow. So Yeah, well, I may fall face down and I may be. Falling face down, dead. But it'll probably be with a glass of scotch in my hand. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> Just don't spill it. Yeah. Oh, I definitely won't spill it. Trust me. So yeah, nice, clean living. Anyway, absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's a little bit of news this week, and um, as always, even when we don't dissect accidents, we we always try to equate some of these news events that we do discuss to the potential and how it compromises safety and and could set up the potential for an accident or a serious incident. Of course, uh, the big news is the fact that Frontier is buying Spirit Airlines. Now, if you go on the internet and you research both airlines and you research uh, some of the uh, 60 billion complaints that these two airlines get, um, there have been a couple of uh, prominent articles written and characterized both of these airlines as the two worst airlines operating. And so now you have, if that is true, two bad airlines coming together, does that mean that it's going to be one gigantic bad airline? <laughs> or does this really change the flavor? Does the the merging of these two carriers, uh, you know, cause management and, and the airline personnel that are coming together to uh, to basically um, take a step back and reinvent themselves and come back now as one better carrier. What can hope? But the history of mergers
2: sometimes doesn't support that. You know, in my past, I lived through uh, four mergers, five mergers, I have to stop and think and count, but enough of them to know that uh, we had severe operation, operating issues, including accidents, right around the time of the merger. And how much of it was people's attention diverted into their position, in the new companies, what's going on, you know, all this other thinking that occurs in the cockpit and on the ground that doesn't involve doing your job. And those distractions, we know those distractions are problems. So it uh, it's yet to be seen, you know. And I, one thing that I did not read in anything that was published on these two airlines merging was the fact that they both have some of the same players as founders to them. So some of the the the, the money that was behind the creation of both of these airlines came from the same sources, hmm. and so that was an interesting piece that I saw in the filings that they had. They've been releasing some filings
0: and john you know that you know over the history of mergers whether it's airline mergers with you know the uh, the northwest and old republic airlines there was a lot of animosity between those two pilot groups they they still to this day when you ask the old heads they still refer to themselves as red book pilots and green book pilots uh, they drew that line in the sand and, and it was very prominent you don't see that much, you know, United and Continental when they came together. There was a lot of a lot of concern and, and of consternation, if you will. Um, whether that still exists to the highest levels or not, I don't think so, because I don't see it. And friends of mine that fly for both or flew for uh, Continental who are now United, I think that was a little better transition. Is there still a little bit of in fighting and philosophy and corporate culture yeah because I do hear about that and I think that's the bigger problem because when we look at aircraft accidents especially with an airline we're always looking at organizational culture we're always looking at safety culture to see what influence it may or may not have had in the outcome of the sequence of events of an aircraft accident or incident.
2: There was a period of time where the NTSB really was good at ferreting out those facts. You know, we had we had a couple of really good human factors people. I know you worked with with Malcolm and and others that uh, were really good at ferreting out those kinds of issues. They still look at them today, but I just don't see the depth that that, uh, that those those two individuals did. I mean, I worked both before coming to the board and then after at the board during accidents with with the human performance people. And uh, they they really dug deep. So uh, they've driven some change. I wish some of that that change was focused at the maintenance department because uh, the, the, uh, the lapses that occur at mergers between the maintenance departments can be sometimes severe. You know, it's not seen as a big flag that the two companies that are merging may use entirely different paperwork and in the maintenance environment, the paperwork. And the procedures that you use don't always line up and then when you're under pressure departure pressure uh, to get something done people revert to what they know best and uh, what I saw in the, the multiple. USA emerges is we oftentimes would have people falling back to the uh, Mohawk Airlines or, or uh, Lake Central airline procedures, PSA procedures and they weren't the same as USAs and we went to great lengths to try to try to uh, train that out, but it's a difficult difficult thing to do.
0: I remember when Piedmont, was in existence and, and everybody really loved the fact that Piedmont was a, a homegrown airline, family oriented type airline. It was run according to the folks that worked there pretty well. But then when they merged with PSA, things started to tank and it started to come apart at the seams and, and it just was never the same airline. And then of course, the little guys got sucked up by the big guys and now you have what you have. And, you know, again, you have, like you were talking about those multiple cultures, those, those multiple philosophies, who's when. (laughs) Now you have a combined cockpit with two different philosophies. You got pilots that have come from one airline, you have pilots that come from another. And, and again, they don't, they try to train those things out and standardize them, but those are hard things to let go of, as we've seen with Northwest and, and, um, and Republic. And I think there is some of that still to this day with American and TWA, and, and uh, maybe even American and America West. Well, it exists. You know, one of the problems you have, if you have a base uh,
2: that's predominantly the airline that disappeared, uh, they tend to still operate the way that airline operated. So, you know, I saw, uh, uh, when I worked for United it was after the capital merger, and in New York, United was bigger, so the people in capital just sort of folded in. And uh, But they were readily identifiable because the company at that time used, in order to just make things easy, they put an eight in front of the employee number for all the capital people. Mm. So took, all you had to do was look at their, their, their employee number and you know where they came from. And, wow. they got, and they got a lot of uh, peer pressure because of that, and then I, I was getting laid off in New York and I went to Washington, which was capitals based. And uh, let me tell you, it was 180 out from what United was. So it really is, or can be geographically centered according to where the majority of people come from which airline and which procedures will, will linger longer because of that. It, we, it's something to watch. I mean, at US Air, right Right during the merges, Allegheny with Lake Central, plane crashes, right? Allegheny with Mohawk, plane crashes. Allegheny with PSA, plane crashes. Uh, it was by then it was U.S. Air. And U.S. Air with Piedmont, plane crash. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that you really need to be focused on is making sure that everybody, all the employees, have their mind in their job and not in the merger and the effect on themselves, you know, with the layoffs and, and maybe change of domicile. style. And there's all sorts of employee issues that rear their head in these mergers and I hope that uh, these two companies can get a handle on it. Now they've, they have some advantages in that they contract out all of their maintenance is contracted out to, to third parties. So I just hope they keep a high level of of oversight from the two airlines to the people that are doing the work on their product so that that doesn't get lost in the shuffle because of- Well, it's gonna
0: be interesting because you and I um, had done some work for Frontier several years ago, and we had the opportunity to uh, to spend several shifts in the hangar with the, the maintenance folks because at that time, they were uh, they were merging or intending to merge with uh, Republic Airlines. And uh, there was some question about these very same issues. People were concerned about bankruptcy at that time. People were concerned about job security. People were concerned about what was gonna happen in the organization to change an organizational philosophy. And not only does it happen in the airline, of course, we've seen it in business aviation. Um, one of the more prominent accidents was BP Amico When the two oil companies merged, they merged their flight departments, and uh, they ended up having a very senior pilot, the director of uh, flight operations and a chief pilot, one from each organization, happened to be flying in the same cockpit of a Gulfstream 4. And as I recall, they, uh, they broke that airplane coming out of Milwaukee. And again, even with these corporate flight departments, they too have their own respective philosophies. Now you try to merge that, whose wins? And you can only standardize so much, yeah. You can train pilots to fly an airplane in a standardized way, but if you have company policies and procedures that are ingrained in a lot of these people, like you said, that's what they refer to or revert to in a high stress, high anxiety situation. And next thing you know, you have a mental battle going on in the cockpit as to whose whose policies and procedures are going to win. Yep. And do they talk to one another? I mean, we've had examples of
2: incidents, and I won't mention the airlines, but some uh, U.S. carriers where the uh, the two the two pilots in the cockpit would not talk to each other because they came from different
0: yeah. companies.
2: So the minimum conversation in the cockpit, that's not a, a recipe for good CRM. It's just, uh, there's a lot of issues that these two carriers need to focus on and the FAA needs to help them.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a, another issue, John, because we saw it with ValueJet in a little different way. ValueJet at the time, they were coming in as a new entrant carrier, the the start of this ultra low cost or low cost carrier was just beginning, and value jet, as we all know, was growing at such a rate that the FAA couldn't keep up with it. And there were a lot of telltale signs that should have tipped the FAA off that they needed to slow the process down. Because as you recall, there were a number of events that took place with value jet aircraft, whether they were running off the side of the runway or, or other issues, these were the preludes to. Flight 592 crashing in the Everglades, and it wasn't until we lost 110 people that the FAA finally called a halt to it all, grounded the carrier, and then they of course reemerged as a different carrier called Airtran, but with the same, <laughs> with the same management and management philosophy.
2: Yep. Yeah, I, I never forget that in four months and 10 days, with a with a fleet of 44 airplanes. They had 51 airplanes take off and something went wrong and they had to come back and land in the field they just took off. So when I worked for the airlines, if we ever had 51 airplanes that took off and returned in four months and 10 days, they'd be, you wouldn't recognize the senior management and the maintenance department. They'd be all replaced. They'd be replaced. There was was no forgiving on, on any numbers near that Never mind those numbers. I mean, those are gross. More than one per uh, airplane in four months and 10 days. I I just shook my head when that number came up at the hearing.
0: You know, and when we talk about mergers, we also have to talk about pay scales. (laughs) Because, you know, again, mergers, you know, uh, uh, between two airlines, you got two different pay scales that always creates a little bit of, uh, of an issue amongst the, uh, the pilot ranks and the flight attendant ranks and the mechanic ranks, um, who's gonna get what, how much seniority is integrated um, into, the, uh, into the now, quote, new airline that is created by the merger. And then of course, we have current negotiations going on and renegotiations of, of current contracts because of pilot demand all of these now are going to factor in and again we saw pay to play and money issues cause accidents and you historically go back to when we used to call these now regional airlines quote commuter airlines that were operating on a 135 where you had pay to play when uh, regional airlines were starting to evolve the carrier would hire you, you would pay for your training, and then commit to stay with that carrier for two or three years, so that you could they could get basically a payback for that training. Uh, They would pay you back if you stuck around. If you didn't, then you paid for your own training and you moved on. But the bigger part of that, when you followed the money trail in a lot of these accidents was the structure. And that is, if you had a carrier where uh, pilots were assigned to fly five flights in a day, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, and you only got four of them done, then you only got paid for four, not five. And that created a lot of self-induced pressure to accomplish the mission. And we had a lot of airplanes crash and a lot of people get killed because of that mentality and that policy and procedure at those airlines
2: in fact the value jet the picture behind you the accident before the one that claimed 110 people was a pilot that was rushing to to uh, complete his trip and he was popping circuit breakers in the cockpit to try to uh, mitigate some flags and some problems he was having with his instruments and uh he uh, he pulled the wrong circuit breaker arm we don't know if it was wrong in his mind, but the circuit breaker he pulled uh, made the airplane think it was on the ground. And, and so doing, uh, all of a sudden, the spoilers were deploying uh, things that happened that only happened on the ground, and he lost control of the airplane landing it. So it was, uh, I mean, there's things that happen because people push themselves. And the only way we're going to get a handle on that, is by having a good presence from management and good oversight from the FAA to keep everybody on their toes.
0: And, and these are the, the kinds of issues, John, that you know aren't very prominent, they aren't very sexy. Um, these are the stories that you and I tell because we know it, we've been around the industry, we've investigated it. These are the, the backstories, if you will, but they have very large consequences because they have significant influence in, decision-making by pilots in decision-making by flight attendants and mechanics in the operation and of course the overall success of a flight. And and we can't lose sight of that. And our audience can't lose sight of the fact that, yeah, you're gonna, it's real easy to blame a pilot or pilots for making bad decisions, flying into a a thunderstorm, you know, trying to land the airplane because they're five miles out and they fly an L-1011 into a thunderstorm. Next thing you know, they're getting whacked by wind shear and shoved into the ground. But there's it really is um, necessary to understand why those pilots in that airplane at that time were in that place. What were they trying to accomplish? What information were they gaining uh, to make either an informed or an uninformed decision That put them in a position of peril and that happens with every single accident, not only with commercial operators charter business and that kind of thing. It happens every day in the general aviation ranks, I am so busy right now with general aviation airplanes pilots. Who have and there's this term of art that we use in the business, and that is pilots who have more money than brains, that is, they don't have the requisite skills abilities knowledge experience to be flying some of the airplanes especially these technically advanced aircraft all the whiz bang gee whiz stuff that's up front they don't have the requisite skills to be able to fly those airplanes and as i've always preached for as long as this stuff has been out i believe personally when i've investigated these accidents that what pilots lack in their own personal skills abilities knowledge and experience they transfer that confidence from themselves into the airplane because they have an autopilot, they have TAS, they have weather. And as long as they have a moving map and a magenta line and that little airplane symbol, they're good to go. And they will blast off into stuff that they otherwise know they shouldn't be blasting off into or trying to do things with an airplane that they know that if they actually had to hand fly it, they shouldn't do it. But because of all this automation, they believe that the airplane is going to keep them out of trouble. You know, Piper Malibu, a.k.a. the doctor killer.
2: You know, doctors are busy people. And if they fly once a month in a high performance airplane like the Malibu, that's not enough. That is not enough to keep you proficient. And uh, but that's what we see. And a lot of the doctors that have uh, perished in Malibu's. And that was one of the problems that came right up to the surface, you know flew five flights in the previous six months. Uh, High performance airplane you can't do that you've got to be doing more frequent flying you've got to be more familiar. Oh, you got to have somebody with you that has flown more than you have, and we see that over and over you know you touched on on uh, something else that i've been following here the last month or so, and that's the pilot pay rates, I have been seeing. And, I, and now I am actually soliciting comments from pilots in the uh, corporate FBO that I spent some time in uh, about the pay rates and turnover. So I usually open the door with saying, you know, how many pilots do you have? How many have you seen leave? And virtually every company that has more than six or eight pilots has seen at least one pilot leave because of the hiring spree the airlines are having. And then I would, uh, after we talked about that for a little bit, then I would ask the the, the question, the real question I was after, is what's been happening to the company? What's the response been from the company? And the one that just I just talked to within the last uh, four or five days, uh, the company's response was across the board $10,000 raise for everybody while they conduct an assessment of where their pay needs to be. Yeah. And they, were, they had uh, 16 pilots and they had several leave. He named three and he said that he thinks it was more than that, the, the guy I was talking to. So the point is that a lot of these these 135 operators, both corporate and uh, charter, uh, are starting to feel the pain now from the airlines, uh, you know, hiring uh, away poaching, if you will, yeah. from other operators. And uh, it was just in the newspaper yesterday that uh, the pilots for Delta Airlines are expecting a very good pay raise because of the the current issues. So here we go with uh, the airlines are all going to start coming back in. Uh, The employee groups are going to be coming back in to to, uh, get their piece of the apple, especially with if this inflation that they're saying is coming on strong because of uh, all the money that the government gave away driving up inflation, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the airlines at a time when they're feeling they're hurt themselves.
0: And in that pressure, of course, John, as you know, um, yeah, we pay the pilots and, and flight attendants and mechanics what they are due, but all of a sudden then what happens? The economy tanks or travel starts to, uh, to peter out, kind of like what happened with COVID. Now the airlines go into the world to hurt and they can't pay those salaries now. I mean, it's it's a vicious cycle. We've seen it, it's been cyclonic over, over time. And and of course, the, the bigger question is how does that influence or have a negative effect on aviation safety? And and that's going to be something that we're going to have to watch very closely. And I think, you know, if there are accidents, I think following the money trail. I worked for a boss, you were on the board with Jim Hall. And, and Jim, one of his philosophies was you follow the money trail, you know what, there's probably an influence of that money trail in the cause or contributing factor of an accident. We've
2: seen it all too often, all too often.
0: Yep. Well, let me uh, let me just uh, conclude this. Um, we're going to get back to uh, dissecting accidents uh, in the next shows. Um But uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to do is just give a shout out to Pilatus Business Aircraft. I was fortunate enough to spend a couple hours over at their North American um, headquarters, which happens to be across from my office up at uh, Rocky Mountain Metropolitan Airport and um, met some great people over there, had the opportunity to go through their, uh, their finishing center. They uh, they fly these airplanes, both the PC24 and the PC12, over Green, and then they do a lot of the completions, i.e., the majority of the completions here in the United States before delivery. And uh, it's a very very impressive operation. The people there, it's a small group, but they're they're very dedicated. A lot of hands-on work. This is not, um, you know, automated finishing work. This is truly, um, you know, custom hand work. And and I was very impressed with the attitudes and the people. And and so they gave me an opportunity to, uh, you know, exercise my mouth a little bit for two hours to talk about some of those things that we see in aircraft accidents that we trace back into. um, As we always talk, John, fly it, fix it, manage it, or build it. Um, You know, all of those particular disciplines have a contributing factor in some way, shape, or form. And so I was trying to give them an idea of how to keep themselves out of trouble um, as a manufacturer so that uh, they don't see guys like me and you show up asking questions.
1: I'll tell
2: you what, I love flying the PC-12. I've had the opportunity several times and boy, what a great airplane that is. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, I've got an opportunity to fly both the PC-12 and the PC-24 coming up. So uh, we'll be talking about that on a on a future show. I'll give a pilot report on both aircraft and the and the safety that's built into these airplanes. I've I saw some of it uh, recently, and I'm looking forward to really getting an in depth uh, perspective of what they have built into these airplanes uh, to make them the safest in the air. So, well, before well, we my, move before we
2: move on, I want to remind everybody this show is brought to you by both. Pam of the Professional Aviation Association, and by Avemco Insurance, who will give you a discount if you just mention that you watched our show. And the information is gonna be in the trailer that's on there, but but I just wanted to, to uh, reiterate the Avemco. Uh, yeah,
0: General they've been a great sponsor insurance. of ours. Great sponsor. I mean, I, I love the fact that they're a sponsor of ours. They believe in what we try to convey as far as an educational message um, and um, and we always appreciate that. They also give us ideas or uh, issues to discuss on the show because, as an insurance company, that's what they are seeing, and and they like to have us as a different voice try to emphasize to these people that they need more training, need more training, need more training, so that they don't keep breaking their airplanes. And um, and so uh, it's it's great to have them as a partner. Uh, of our show, and um, and and we look forward to a long relationship with them, in because we're all trying to do the same thing, and that is promote the highest levels of aviation safety. So, with that, my friend, I am going to leave you with the last word, since I don't have Todd to pick on today. Well,
2: I just I will. I'm going to sound like a broken record again because I come back to these because we see too many accents with this. If you're going to go flying. What, no matter what kind of airplane, what kind of operation. Start your pre-planning before you even leave your home or the hotel room, wherever you are. When you get to the airport, revisit that pre-planning, revise it if necessary, and get out to the airplane, do a very detailed walk around. We have gotten so much feedback from pilots that have changed their walk around procedures because of this constant requesting that they look at it. And if you need help, get one of your mechanics uh, that's familiar with the airplane, walk around with it, because mechanics look more detailed than any pilot will look at it during a walk around and find out what they look at and what they find. And then after you get in the air, please fly safely.
1: To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888 888- 888 Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives and remember to always fly safe.